Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hello, podcast listeners. Al Martin here. I hope everybody is doing well. Uh, you've made your way to Making Data Simple, which I greatly appreciate. Hopefully, we're going to learn something together today. Today, I have a gentleman by the name of Cordell France. So Cordell, that's a great name, by the way. Uh, you're the next Elon Musk, I think, if it's in terms of naming. He is the CEO of Seeker Technologies. So he's founder. Uh, this is a tech startup that builds AI products for a variety of industries. Uh, but think artificial intelligence. Think, you know, I think one of your most critical or where you're, you're going all in is helping medical professionals save lives. We can talk about that. I don't know if that's where it starts and that, that that's where it ends. I know you have three different medical AI products through four product-reviewed clinical trials. That's hard to say fast. So I know you're going in all in on AI. You're going all in on, on medical. There are probably many other areas that you're expanding into as well. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. And now, thank you again for having me. So, yeah, I am uh, CEO of Secret Technologies, and I am an engineer by training and by schooling. Prior to starting Seeker with my co-founder, I was employed at a couple uh, defense companies working primarily on autonomous systems. And while I was at those companies, I uh, was in positions of a few different engineering disciplines, primarily uh, mechanical engineering, systems engineering, and software engineering. So I was able to get some really unique angles at the product development life cycle, uh, just based on different engineering disciplines. Mechanical engineers don't usually like to write code, but I, I typically enjoyed it. So I was, I was kind of anomaly in that regard. But uh, fast forward to uh, about two, three years ago, my co-founder and I decided to fully engage our free time into developing Seeker and addressing you know, the problems we saw in the world uh, with our AI platform. And then fast forward another year later till about two years ago, we decided to, you know, uh, officially start the business and leave our day jobs and really make this a, a reality and haven't looked back. We've been profitable since then and uh, really been able to put some really great capability into the platform. I got you. I'm looking at uh, just a little bit from history. I see physics, Utah State. Is that where you started or am I wrong there? And then you go into MIT around uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence and Johns Hopkins. That's true. Or? Yes. So uh, my background, my undergraduate was at Utah State in physics and statistics, uh, applied statistics and machine learning and computer science. And uh, so I went into industry for a few years and then um, ended up going to doing perform graduate studies in artificial intelligence specifically through certificate degree at MIT and then transferred to Johns Hopkins shortly after to, uh, to complete the full uh, artificial intelligence degree. And it really is a blend of physics and mathematics and computer science and statistics. And it's, uh, I love every minute of it. Where did mechanical engineering come in though? So my physics background was uh, substantial in that. I ended, I started doing some modeling and simulation uh, through physics software through basically CAD design software. And that kind of carried over into computer vision later on. But it started with that and I ended up getting, you know, pretty proficient at it. And the physics background kind of helped me justify, 
you know, uh, structural engineering justifications for, you know, different designs. And that kind of carried over into some larger mechanical engineering roles later on. Where were you enlightened and said, hey, look, machine learning is, is it for me and I'm going all in. I mean, where did that come in? So I've always been fascinated by robotics. I, I grew up on a farm uh, and my father brought home some autonomous st uh, steering software for our tractors one day. And I was just a kid at the time, but seeing this giant machine kind of steer itself and act in an autonomous fashion, that's kind of what triggered, triggered it for me. And I knew I wanted to go into robotics. And at the time, statistics and uh, computer science and physics was kind of the perfect blend of what I wanted in order to get the you know physics background in robotics, as well as get the applied mathematics that you really should have with artificial intelligence and neural network development and uh, employ that obviously through code and computer science. So uh, that kind of hybrid led to uh, an applied statistics and physics degree um, as for my undergraduate. And then from there, it's kind of vectored into autonomous systems and different aspects of autonomous systems. Nice. Where are you originally from? I actually am from Idaho Falls, Idaho. So um, how long would you say you've done machine learning then? I would say about eight years. About eight years. As we began the podcast, we talked about you, you've had a focus on uh, helping medical professionals save lives. Uh, I want to hear more about that. How do you get into the medical field from uh, physics, ML, a, a guy that's, uh, you know, has a history of, of agriculture? I don't have a medical background. I, <laughs> and I, I, we work a lot with uh, some incredible physicians who help advise us on our products. So a lot of that medical, uh, you know, our, med our development for the medical industry started with the COVID-19 pandemic and that we actually really wanted to try to uh, help cause and try to relieve, you know, use AI to try to help relieve demand uh, for physicians and kind of just, you know, benefit the cause overall. So we partnered with uh, some physicians that kind of that helped advise on a product that we actually is available in the app store today. Uh, it's an app that you that diagnoses and screens for respiratory conditions in x-rays or CT scans. So uh, it detects up to seven different conditions and you either import an image or you capture an image into the app and uh, uses AI to screen out all of the noise and all of the image glares and all the text on a radiology scan. Um, and then also classify where, uh, what is detected within the chest x-ray and also where the symptoms or where these uh, indicators are. And we donated that completely free of charge just for the cause. There's a couple of good things that came about that. Um, we actually put it through a clinical trial and it received 95.5% accuracy against a board certified radiologist. So it, it came out with the same predictions 95.5% of the time. So what are you predicting in that case? Out of a radiology x-ray, we're a chest x-ray in particular, we're predicting whether or not there are symptoms of COVID-19. So whether or not the patient has COVID-19, pneumonia, emphysema, signs of different respiratory conditions in that regard. And there's seven different conditions in which it particularly screens for. And so how does a non-medical guy say, hey, this is what I need to do. This is an area that, that hasn't been explored. And you create an app of that form. By the way, and you need to tell me how you get 95% accuracy, particularly if it relates to COVID. This is perfect timing. Yeah, and it was published over a year ago. There was some other research that had gone on in this realm from you know what we saw in hindsight, but I don't know anyone that actually pushed a published product that actually worked and incorporated you know screening for COVID-19 and chest x-rays. 
that particular regard, actually pushing something into a product uh, was quite hard. As you know, if you get something out of a lab that works and putting that into the real world is always a challenge. But, you know, in regards to how we kind of got involved with medical, we, we had a really cutting edge and a really good uh, image recognition platform that could recognize things in uh, images and, and data feeds and camera feeds and different sensor mediums. You know, we thought, well, we can apply this in some way to the medical field, but we know nothing about medicine. So let's try to partner with the experts who do know and try to collaborate and, you know, create a product that involves both expertise. So that's kind of how that ended up uh, coming about. What's the app name? It's COVID AI, COVID AI. I got to believe you've got a load of downloads. <laughs> yeah, it's it's had it's had a, a, a lot of downloads and we were actually able to put in the so if you go into a medical facility, you have to do like a consent form um, and, and sign a bunch of stuff legally in the US in order to get treated. So we actually put the consent form in there so you can digitally sign and actually import x-rays and stuff. So it's it, we put a lot of capability into it as far as usability goes outside of simply just incorporating a really advanced AI algorithm. Why do you kick it off free of charge? Why not monetize? In the beginning, uh, it was, it, we again, we wanted to kind of help the cause. We already had some paying customers in some other regard and weren't really hurting financially. Uh, the second reason is because it, it was really good marketing for Seeker. There's In AI, there's a lot of apprehension that we've discovered with uh, in the medical field to incorporate AI because it's hard to explain any decisions that some AI algorithms make. They're kind of seen of a black, as a black box. Being able to garner trust within experts, with experts in the medical field is something that we really sought after, uh, and not necessarily just in the medical field, but other fields in general. But in this case, we were able to employ a product that kind of gained some trust from different medical practitioners uh, that said, you know, there's actually a real use for AI. And, you know, that we can, it, when developed correctly, we can trust this. This can actually increase our throughput, increase our capabilities, and can be of a really great benefit. And so uh, we've been able to actually convince some people along the way. AI is, is worth paying attention to uh, a lot more in these, t uh, this, these scenarios where we don't have a lot of notice of these problems. I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic came out of nowhere and happened very fast, and there were some solutions that needed to occur very, very quickly. And AI is, is particularly good at that, being able to find a solution very quickly and, and get up and scaling and, and running with it. And so it was largely a, a marketing opportunity for us as well. And it proved out to be a successful one. Yeah, make, make, makes it well. I mean, look, uh, especially if you're able to detect COVID, but uh, just to, to finish the, to make sure I fully understand, you have to have the image in hand and then you can use the app that will help detect Seven conditions, as you mentioned, but pneumonia and COVID-19 among them. Right. Yes. So there's two options within the app. You can import an image. So there were some instances, at least with our partners, where they had a clinical uh, iPad where they kept x-ray images and they would import them. And so you could import an image from your library, or you can simply take a picture of the screen. Now, this was the tricky part because we had to filter out all the background and just focus on the the image. So it's easy to take a picture of uh, of an image and you know try to classify. But an image recognition algorithm is going to look at everything behind the image itself as well. And people aren't necessarily super great at getting 
cleanly cropped images of the x-ray. So we had to do a lot of pre-processing on top of that to filter out all the optical glares, all the text on the x-ray. And so there were a lot of other challenges on top of that, that, you know, aside from just an AI algorithm, we had to incorporate. So mainly you're working with doctors, uh, healthcare professionals in this case, yes or no? Yes. So they, they were involved in every bit of the process and we didn't know anything about uh, this field and this realm, but we knew that we had some contacts that uh, were interested in, in, in helping the cause and, and contributing to development. So we were working very, very heavily with doctors in this and a couple of other products as well. So I know I'm probably over asking questions, but this is interesting. I, mean, I love it. You've got samples, you've trained the machine learning models around what COVID looks like. And then you're able to compare the images that you either capture or take a picture of and detect whether it's a match. Yes, precisely. Absolutely. And it's worth noting we, so there are, you know, massive amounts of data sets online for x-rays that you can find and download, but we also, uh, we use those, but we also augmented that with our own x-rays that we accumulated with our partners. So, uh, we, didn't just take it as ground truth that an image data set, and we never do, we never take it as ground truth that an image data set downloaded online is exactly what it says, because we always want to check for our own our own bias. But uh, we also augmented that data set with our own acquired data. Makes a lot of sense. 95% accuracy, who provides you that confirmation? And what kind of accreditation does that have? Went through an ethics approved clinical trial, which uh, in the medical industry, if you, you have to send something through uh, an ethics board, and if it goes through an ethics board, it's considered, and they pass it, it's considered ERB approved. And so I think it's ERB means ethics review board. Uh, so ethics review board approved, which they basically screen for and say, yes, this is you know a worthwhile pursuit and you are handling patient's data in an appropriate manner, obeying HIPAA compliancy. Being able to to go through that was was one thing, but uh, and HIPAA compliance itself was something that we weren't necessarily prepared for. Uh, so, but that's that's a different topic for another time. But we've carried those practices on data privacy forward into other product developments as well. As far as how how it happens, uh, the the image is really just a, a simple classification. We have a set of images that have been screened by or validated by a board certified radiologist, and they look at the data and say, okay. This x-ray has pneumonia. This x-ray has symptoms of COVID-19. This x-ray has symptoms of its XYZ, et cetera, et cetera. And we went through a series of a, a few hundred images in which the, uh, the, the physician had already validated those images. And then we fed them to our AI model in the exact same manner and then had it classify what it detected. And in 95.5% of the images, it came back with the exact same reading. Let's talk about Seeker for a moment. What is your mission statement then? What is this company all about? Seeker Technologies is seeking to democratize AI by developing machine learning applications that utilize the potential of mobile technology with a focus on disadvantaged industries. In particular, we focus on three core principles, building mobile AI, explainable AI, and ethical AI. So let me break that down for a moment. When we say we're trying to build mobile technology with focused on disadvantaged industries, we're trying to develop AI solutions for industries that aren't getting a lot of attention and significant AI investment right now. Uh, for example, 
an advantage industry would be self-driving cars, smart home assistants, certain aspects of medicine that see a lot of AI you know, investment and a lot of research papers posed in that direction to try to advance that technology. Whereas industries such as agriculture, some aspects of medicine like neuropsychology, and even industries like outdoor recreation don't seem to have significant investment or attention in artificial intelligence development. So we focus on these industries that are particularly disadvantaged. Those three core principles I mentioned um, are particularly important because we focus on making AI mobile. You know, we went to the moon with thousands of times of compute power than less compute power than what we have in our smartphones in our pockets. We're trying to utilize the technology and the capability that is really all around us and particularly in, in your pocket. A lot of the products we develop have a mobile app component to them just because they are so powerful. And we're really trying to make solutions that aren't tied to the cloud. That second principle is uh, making explainable AI. There's a lot of apprehension towards AI, especially by newcomers in the market due to its black box approach. And we're trying to change this. Our platform generates explainability reports for each classification and each you know, recognition, uh, each solution that our AI models achieve. Also explain decisions just as a human can. That third tier is uh, ethical AI. Seeker takes particular interest in minimizing model bias and ridding, trying to employ good ethics within our models. Ethics are a prominent concern in AI right now. And if you paid attention to the news, uh, you've probably seen some bits on the debacle of uh, the use of facial recognition. Harvard Business Journal, I believe, did a study on facial recognition, on one particular facial recognition system that had a 35 times higher error rate on darker skin folks than it did on lighter skin folks. There's ways to mitigate that through better engineering and better bias mitigation and better review of the data sets that are training these AI models, which is that what we're trying to do through better engineering and better peer review of, of our models. Got it. Uh, that was a good explanation, but I got a few questions. Could you say just a little bit more about mobile? I mean, does that mean you won't handle it? I mean, I got to believe that your use cases outside of mobile are also fair game. We definitely do. Uh, mobile, we aren't exclusive to just mobile. We just try to utilize a lot of mobile technology and, and sensors at the edge. A lot of what we have is a focus on privacy. So being able to let people know that, hey, your data is not going to leave the device in order to facilitate this classification. It's going to stay on the device. It's going to stay you know, within the model and, and we don't need a cloud connection in order to operate. However, one thing that we do that's part of our platform is we have a larger AI model in the cloud that updates all of these mobile AI models, right? So we have a giant one in the cloud that constantly is sifting through data and given the user's permission, it actually updates these smaller edge device models that provide these instantaneous classifications for uh, users that you know don't necessarily have an internet connection or don't you know don't want to give access to uh, to our apps for internet connection. How do you drive explainable? How do you make it explainable? What's your secret sauce there? If you could tell me at least the high level. We generate a technical report, so our engineers actually can get like a, a trace of the neural pathway, like in a neural network of how. Uh, an image is classified and, and what you know routes were taken. Um, so we're looking at a very, very small level in that regard. But then it also generates a second report in which, you know, for example, if I wanted to classify or detect all the blue cars in a parking lot through a secret AI model, it would generate a report saying, okay, I found a blue car and this is why I found a blue car. I found an object with windows, there's wheels, the color is blue, 
And, you know, they seem to have several other features that resemble a vehicle. And so I'm explaining why I think this vehicle is a car. If the model's wrong, we can go back and, and kind of pinpoint, okay, it's not really finding wheels that well. Why is it not finding wheels? This is a very abstract, crude example that I'm giving, but it, it kind of uh, illuminates it on, on a higher level. That makes sense. Look, I think you got the right areas, particularly explainable and ethical. I'm with you on that. You're right. Nobody trusts AI. So what you got to do is you make it explainable. And that also helps with the ethical. You can say, look, this is how it's making the decision. It's, you know, nothing's ever perfect, but you you try to look at it. That's why it's they're called models, because you improve the models as you go. So I, I think that right. I, I'm on board to, uh, you know, what your, your tenants are. It sounds fascinating. How the heck did we get into, how you get into the app business? Was that just a side project like you did for fun that we talked about earlier? We've always excelled in app development, actually, uh, and I actually particularly love app development. I started out programming by programming um, iOS and Android mobile apps, and so it was a particularly easy vehicle to provide interface with our models and provide, you know, start seeker off by uh, allowing people to access models through our app mobile applications and kind of accelerate the pace of which you know Seeker's platform was able to take off. Now, you know, app development is one aspect of what we can do where we kind of involved with like we just spoke about the cloud and you know even building sensors in some regard the devices that sit in our pockets have so much capability and there's so many sensors built in that it doesn't make sense sometimes to you know if i need to build a, a gps device or i need to build a new camera it's like well why would you do that if you can utilize something that's been perfected by these trillion dollar companies uh, with way more, with way deeper pockets than what we have uh, that everyone, almost everyone has access to. So, you know, the processing power and the access, the sensors within that, we try to heavily access just because obviously through mobile apps, but um, you know, that's, that's originally how Seeker started actually was through mobile app development and incorporating AI models onto that. And then you went from there. How many AI models do you, or AI products do you have today? Uh, we're on the order of about 12, actually. We're at 12 products right now uh, between, uh, you know, all the industries that we're working with and are working in and uh, all the clients that we facilitate. Have you ever read The Undoing Project? by my I, I have not, but I've heard of it. It's, it's really good. It's like behavioral economics, essentially what they go through. And in that, there was a there's a story that stuck with me. I may have said this before in this podcast. I don't know, but it really stuck with me in terms of what you were saying earlier. In the 1970s, the Oregon Research Institute was researching X-rays for stomach cancer. The physicians categorized it into I think it was seven different categories, like size, shape, width, crater, and they created this simple algorithm with these seven factors, and then. They brought some doctors in and they asked the doctors to assess, I think it was something like 96 to 100 like pictures of stomach ulcers and, and cancer on that seven point scale. Okay. And ultimately, they came down to definitely malignant or definitely benign. Now, what they didn't tell the doctors at the time is they put some of the same pictures in there multiple times. And then they transferred the data to keep it honest to UCLA. UCLA analyzed this data, and it came back that not only did the doctors not agree with one another, they didn't agree with themselves. <laughs> and oh, wow. the Google model in the 1970s is extremely good. Now, think of the technology like what you're talking about or what we have today. So 
I guess the moral of the story is there, when we can use AI to help detect cancer, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's pneumonia, but point is, is, uh, you know, there's no, that's where AI is, is augmented intelligence. I mean, it, it can certainly help. There is no human bias, though it can have bias within the models themselves. So look, right. I think that's, that's a great work you did there. So let's talk about some of your other work. You say you have like 12 different AI solutions. Let's, let's talk about the one. I know they're all like your children. That's what you're going to tell me when I ask this question. <laughs> but what project or which one is you, are you most proud of right now? At this moment, I probably have to say a product that we call uh, Exida. It stands for Explainable Emotional Detection uh, Agent. And briefly what it is, is it's an aid for neuropsychologists. But it takes, it happens to be in, in the medical field, but it has applications in several different industries. And in a nutshell, what it is, is it's a mobile application that a neuropsychologist takes into a diagnostic screening session. So for example, if I trying to get screening for, you know, maybe I have PTSD or I have symptoms of Alzheimer's or, or whatever, I'm going into a neuropsychologist for a diagnostic session. The neuropsychologist sets uh, an iPad or a tablet up on a stand and runs this mobile app. And we're not recording any data, but we do use the cameras and the microphones to analyze what's going on. So we're not recording any footage, we're not recording any audio, but we're analyzing what's going on in, in these data streams. What I mean by this is there's two things that come out of this. The app produces a movie script style document at the end of the session saying, this is what the physician said, this is what the patient said, and they're able to you know, look at this in hindsight and able to recall events and recall details from the conversation uh, much more clearly you know, if they're going to look at it in a week or two weeks. Then the second thing is, is these cameras and microphones are analyzing the patient and the physician, but they're particularly looking for uh, signs of, of sudden movements, uh, skeletal body movements. We're tracking your pupil constriction, your eye gaze uh, to see, you know, what you're looking at, what, if you're trying to avoid certain topics, if something makes you uncomfortable, if you have indications of tremors, different things like this uh, that we can find through skeletal tracking in the camera and, you know, eye tracking. But also through audio, what we were able to look at how your voice behaves, how your the use of subject verb tenses or subject verb structure uh, changes throughout your interview, um, things that you're trying to avoid, even to the level of actually going into lie detection. So what we're trying to do with this is quantify what exactly constitutes Alzheimer's in, in, a, in a quantitative level. So there's, there's a bunch of different symptoms you can have, and there's a bunch of different things that you can screen for, but what actually quantifies you know these these diseases is it so many handshakes you know per minute and you start to see this and this is what doctors act you know typically indicate that you you effectively have alzheimer's and that's a really rudimentary example but we're doing this on a high level and what this does is there's this beautiful dance between at the end of this session the neuropsychologist gets the report of the movie script but also a report of symptoms that the ai agent found through the mobile app and it helping evolve the neuropsychologist, but then the neuropsychologist also goes back and she says, okay, uh, you're wrong on this. I don't think that they actually have these symptoms. You know, their eyes going back and forth weren't signs of mania. They were signs of PTSD or something else. And so there's this really beautiful dance of the AI is making the, the doctor better and the doctor is making the eye better. And we're actually increasing the physician's throughput and increasing their capabilities by having AI help, not replacing any aspect of the physician's capabilities, we're just enhancing them. 
And the reason I'm, I'm probably most proud of this is our, you know, our, our primary product is just because emotion detection is incredibly hard. If you detect them sooner, the probability of you, you know, the condition being fatal or the condition providing significant damage to your body is much less. And so if we can provide a tool that can help screen for these earlier and even, you know, later down the road, put these things in people's pockets so that it can autonomously screen, we're all the better for it. And we can help doctors do their jobs better, increase throughput and really make an impact. What are the three areas? I mean, top areas, it sounds like there's multiple different, uh, symptoms you're looking for, but you said like PTSD, Alzheimer's, what else? Uh, so we're looking for PTSD, Alzheimer's and depression right now. By the way, is this like a camera looking at you all the time and making a uh, AI assessment or it's, it's driving analytics, you know, while you're getting interviewed? Yes. The camera is looking at you and the microphone is recording, but it's not recording any footage. It's not recording any audio data. All it's doing is trying to count your eye blinks per second, you know, how your voice oscillates up and down and how your audio changes throughout the diagnostic session. You know, the patients that participated in the study have all signed uh, agreements saying, I agree to participate in the study and I know what's going on, but we're not actually recording. Just, now you're still working with the government. You got this going on with the government, don't you? No, it's uh, really, you know, because we came, my background was defense, right? And it was interesting on how we kind of ended up in the medical field in general, because uh, my co-founder, Zach Newman's background is also in something completely different than medicine. And we got into this just because we were really good at pattern recognition. And we built a platform that was really good at finding patterns and images and sounds and data and radar signals, all this. And it just happened to work out really well with medical products. My real question was around this PTSD, Alzheimer's, et cetera, is why lie detection? Are they not being truthful about their scenario? What's the scenario here that you're trying to get at? There must be something in there that, why the voice, uh, you're, you're, you're monitoring voice, you're monitoring uh, questions they want to avoid. So why do you see those in those three symptoms? I'm going to describe this to the best that I can in a technical form uh, without, you know, the, the doctors who have advised us on, they can give a much better answer than I can, but I'll do, the, I'll do the best I can. The reason that we are looking for those things is because if there's a particular event that happened that, you know, a patient doesn't want to talk about and the doctor might need to not pry, but maybe dig more into that situation. So maybe a, a patient in particular is apprehensive about a particular scenario they had growing up or a particular scenario they had being deployed as a soldier um, overseas, they don't necessarily want to talk about it. You know, a doctor could potentially misclassify them uh, as, as non-PTSD in, in exchange for another condition, but, you know, and still respecting their privacy, the doctor might actually want to go back after they review the report and say, hey, they seem to be um, a little squirmy about this, this situation, this topic. It may be an advantage to address it again, just to see if they really do want to talk about it and they just are apprehensive or, you know, maybe it's the report is entirely false. So in that regard, that's where it comes handy for uh, PTSD. And to my knowledge, it doesn't really come in uh, into utility for like Alzheimer's detection or anything like that. Depression seems maybe a little bit silly and simple to detect, but it's gotten a lot of prominence just because of the COVID-19 pandemic and everyone's been holed up in their homes quarantining, right? There's some advantages to looking at, you know, lie detection in that regard, but we're really just trying to quantify body language into knowledge that can be used to detect different conditions. No, it makes sense. 
completely unrelated, but it made me think of this. I had a gentleman on the podcast named Jad Chilawi. And Jad, if you're listening, we need to have you back on. We'll see if he reaches out. And if he reaches out, we'll have him back on to see how he's been doing. Well, he's the founder of Telus Touch. It's essentially software made for financial analysts to give you a window into finances. It drives analytics and it makes smarter, better business decision based on the analytics he's putting around someone's entire portfolio. And the reason why it makes what you're talking about makes me uh, kind of have a correlation there is because he and I were going back and forth on the value or lack thereof a financial advisor. Because, you know, I, I struggle sometimes with financial advisors because they get paid whether you make money or not. And we're going back and forth, back, <laughs> and forth, back and forth. And then finally, he talks about his technology. And the one thing he ended with is he says, well, my analytics and the AI that I see outlines exactly what you're talking about. I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, people don't do what they say they're going to do. With AI, we can detect if they're talking about, hey, I'm a very aggressive investor, by example. And then you look at their portfolio, they look at the actions they've taken, of course, if they let you, and they put the analytics together and say, no, that's not what your actions have shown. I mean, so do you think that you're an aggressive investor? Because you're very conservative. And, and I think that's a pretty good analogy because we're all, you know, stocks and, and trading like that can be emotional. And like, you know, that's why when the market goes up, everybody jumps on. When the market goes down, everybody jumps out. But I thought that was a pretty good use case for AI. So anyway, I don't know if that is a direct correlation, but what it does say is, you know, identify just and maybe unknowingly a patient will not want to get into something that's very important to the overall uh, condition or the diagnosis that is seen by AI and uh, what you're talking about that can't be seen by the naked eye. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it just provides another angle of information that the neuropsychologist might, or a doctor in general, might not be able to interpret or have the capability to see. Look, uh, I've really enjoyed it, and this has been fun. A uh, great discussion. Uh, we could go on for probably forever, I don't, and so. That's the sign of a, of a good podcast. So, so thank you for being here, Cordell. Much appreciated. And I wish you the absolute very best. I hope you'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, thank you for the opportunity and for a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. And thanks for all you listeners out there. We appreciate it. Uh, like Cordell, he reached out and we were able to make it work. Uh, if you have any topics you'd like to listen to, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, please reach out to almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you on the podcast. Thanks again, Cordell. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.